Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Welcome to part two of our Get to Know You episode. We hope you enjoyed listening to part one, and we are going to just jump right in. Okay, the next question I have for you are about your girls, and I know that there's a lot of things that you hope that they take into their adult lives, but in specifically what you could give them from not just your experience, but wisdom, what are the lessons that you hope to be able to hand over to your girls that they would take into their adult life. I've been contemplating on some of this because I know, and we talked about it earlier, that struggle and suffering help us grow and make us more mature. And I've been thinking about my girls are 19 and 21. Anna will be 22 in September, so she's almost 22. And I just think I want to see them grow in their faith and in their maturity. But in order to do that, they're going to have to kind of struggle through things and figure things out on their own and figure out, you know, if if I want them to grow in their faith, they're going to have to turn to Jesus on their own and realize that he's going to be their answer. And I really can't do a whole lot, (laughs) but let that happen and, and not get in the way. And that's, that's just something that's been on my mind. My oldest is going to England this fall, which we're going to talk about on our letting go episode (laughs) coming up. But I'm as that gets closer, I'm wrestling more with that and just the fear that comes with that from being so far away and unavailable. But in a way, that's good. If I'm not available, she's going to have to figure stuff out on her own and she's going to have to grow in that way, which is going to be good for her. But it's, I think as a parent, it's just so hard to, to watch and to know she's struggling. I don't know if I'm answering your question. What was your question again? Let me rephrase it. What is something that you learned that you wish you knew when you were their age that you would want them to take into their current and adult life? One of the things I've learned as I've gotten older, and my husband and I were just talking about this Sunday, I think, is that nobody really knows what they're doing. (laughs) I know that's a, a silly thing, but we think everybody else is an expert and we are behind. And there may be a few out there, but they only got there because they did things poorly for a while and then became an expert. Nobody is just born an expert at something. And you and I have talked about this. But I see in my my kids, and I think in the age of social media and just seeing what people post, everybody looks like an expert and like they have it all together. Nobody has it all together, no matter what they look like on social media. And I, I think the more, and I didn't learn this, these are lessons probably learned later in life, but if they can learn it earlier, they might have more freedom to just be who they are and not let, not let that feeling of I'm not good enough get in the way. And I, that's one of those things I really think, you know, you you just got to keep moving forward and do your best and fail and do things, me- you know, 
they call it the messy middle. If when I was doing my coach business training, they're like, just take action. Just do it. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to forget what you posted the next day anyway, or within a couple of hours. <laughs> you know, you just got to take action and then and do it again the next day. And then eventually you'll get good at it, but you don't get good at anything by not taking any action. One of the profound things I heard one time, it was you can't think yourself into right action. You have to act yourself into right thinking. And that's been something I think about a lot because my my go-to is inaction. I will not do something for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> and so that's been a challenge for me is to just take action. Even with this podcast, you know, I knew I needed to work with a partner because I would not take action. When I had my head lice removal business, I remember getting together with all these other, we went on a cruise, all these ladies that had head lice businesses to do kind of a business conference. But they all struggled. You know, we all were kind of the same. We were maybe good at different parts of the business, but we all had struggles. And coming together as that group, we helped each other so much because we were good at different parts of it. And just seeing there wasn't really anybody who had it all figured out the magic formula. That's what I'm always wanting. I want the magic formula so I know it's going to work. That is so good. I, you're right. I mean, I wish I knew that. I wish somebody had planted that on me is that there. And of course we came up before all the social media, but they are bombarded by all the experts and they kind of feel like there's no, that if they take action, they're not going to measure up, you know, and that is such great advice. That's great advice for an 18-year-old and an 80-year-old. That is great advice. <laughs> I love it. I listened to a short prayer call this morning that my friend Gail invited me to, and the pastor was speaking about Job. And one of the things he said was, if you leave an encounter and don't know Jesus in a greater and deeper way, you may have been moved, but you did not have an encounter. Can you think of one or two times in your life when you've had a true encounter with Jesus that you can share with us? Uh, I could, yeah, several. So I'd have to narrow it down. Uh, I generally describe myself as having a rebellious heart. So if I were one of the characters in the prodigal story, I'm not the older brother. I'm the prodigal always. I'm uh, generally rebel before I accept the truth. There's a few that I could say I didn't take in and I had to take the lesson a couple of times, but um, one that I could say that I did take, and it was definitely a lesson of, of trust with the Lord. Um, I think when I was a young Christian, a baby Christian, and so I became a Christian when I was 34. So I was late in life, but I'm almost 50. So it's been a minute. And I think one of the things that was the slowest thing for, for my growth and maturity in following Christ was to literally trust him. And um, I think that the minute I realized that, because I kind of did it and then realized what I did, was when I jumped ship on my marriage and I literally had to physically remove myself and I had to give it all up before I could get it all back. And we'll go into that later, but to keep focused on, on what the question was, is really my encounter with Jesus was when you let go of everything you know 
your whole reality, everything you valued, the idol that marriage became, um, the identity that I had created as a mother and a wife, and I let it go. I mean, that is a jumping off of the cliff like I've never experienced. And I can't say that I was 100% trusting of the Lord throughout that whole process, but I can say in the moment that I let go, I trusted. And then every time I doubted, got completely fearful, uh, just really let the tension and fear grip me and start to take me away. The Lord was so close to me during that time. And there was so many tangible moments of him reassuring me, reassuring me, reassuring me, where something would happen that was meant for my destruction and it would have no effect. It would just bounce off me. It would bounce off me. Or, um, or the possibility, I mean, just the way, things, uh, the way things were taken apart, they didn't have to go back together, you know, and they all went back together and better than I could have ever imagined. You know, we didn't reconcile as husband and wife, but we are very friendly and we work very well together. So the trust part, I kind of trusted Jesus. And now I have like tangible memories and, and it's success, memories of success that create the confidence. And so now that I have that whole season, of it, it was truly the hardest thing I've ever walked out as far as my faith goes, as far as under, you know, what I can endure. Uh, comfort was giving up completely for about a year and a half. There was no physical comfort. There was no emotional comfort. I was spiritually questioning if God still loved me because I was not sure if I had made a decision that he was, you know, I know the scripture that says there's nothing you can do that is going to separate you from God's love. But when you're doing it, you kind of question it. <laughs> Maybe this is the one thing that you could do that makes God not love you anymore. And so there was those moments of doubt. But now looking back and being able to reflect and watch how it and appreciate how it all played out. Uh, the faithfulness of God, regardless of my faith and faithfulness to him, the faithfulness of God was so evident and so concrete. Um, and there were so many tangible things that I can go, that was him, that was him, that was him, just not my doing. Um, I left with, I, I, mean, I had no job. I had no income. And immediately when within two to three months, my schedule was completely packed with cleaning clients and I was cleaning homes and I was able to work basically a part-time daily. I was home in, in time to be mom to the kids and I was making enough money to make ends meet. That's crazy. I was out of the workforce for over a decade. That's insane. Not that cleaning takes a ton of skill, but it does take a minute to build up a clientele and that was done. There was just so many blessings that I can't say, oh, that was me. I can't take credit for all of it, you know? So the trust factor that I learned, that's the biggest encounter I think I've had with my savior is that I jumped ship and I didn't drown and it all turned out better than I could have ever imagined. I love that. And that's, I can see one of the things I learned through my marriage struggles too is I never had to trust God or I learned to trust God when I actually had to trust him. 
you know, you don't really have to trust someone until you have to lay it out there and trust them. It's, there's a difference. It's easy to trust God when I don't have to. When I Yeah, you could say it and then you have to get tested. Right. Yeah. But when you have to like that, it's hard. But then it, it you build it because you see him come through. But in order to see that, you have to go through the the scary part of it. Who do you admire or look up to the most? Like who is the biggest influence in your life right now and why? I've been thinking about this a little bit and I have a couple directions I could go in. I would say as far as authors go, his name is Jeff Van Vonderen and he actually was on a TV show called Intervention. I don't know. If, I had never saw it, but he's a, a family therapist and a recovery specialist. And he wrote several books that have been my favorite books ever. And what I'm using in my own life and what I'm sharing with clients. But he's the one where I really got that sense of we have the four basic needs of love, acceptance, value, and not being alone. And just how you can implement that in every relationship in your life and in your own life. And I am reading another book about families where grace is in place. And he talks about parenting in marriage from a graceful F-U-L-L perspective as opposed to a curseful F-U-L-L perspective and just the difference of how that impacts families and relationships again with those same concepts. So I just, he's kind of older. The books are old. You can't even get them on Audible, but they're really profound. The other thing I was thinking kind of along those same lines is we were talking, I guess it was Father's Day in church. We were talking about the impact of families and how we've been impacted by our own families. And I started thinking back, I have my mom and dad, both of my grandparents were married. Well, one of them was married over 70 years. I think they got to 72 or 73 before my grandfather passed away. My dad's parents, I don't know if they made it to 70, but they were married over 65 years. So there's a lot of years. My parents have been married 52 years and my sister and I are all still married. I'm going on 25. My youngest sister, I think just had a 15 or 16 year anniversary. And I was thinking about that and I thought that's pretty rare in this time you know, you'd think one of us would be divorced or if not more. And I was trying to think, what did they all do or what's been done to help these last? And we're, we're happy. You know, I would say nobody's like stuck in a miserable marriage. As I think about how my grandparents were, they loved my aunts and uncles and my cousins, no matter what struggle they were going through. They were always like loving and supportive Nobody was ever kicked out of the family or ostracized or anything like that. Even um, my aunt and uncle were divorced and they kept up a relationship with my uncle and his new wife. And he was the one that married into the family. You know, they just, they always were loving and accepting of people. And my parents were like that. They were great parents. I don't know if they knew what they were doing, if they did it on purpose or if they just didn't know any better. You know, I don't know. But they really, they didn't 
put a lot of pressure on us to be a certain way. They really loved us where we were and they didn't meddle in our lives that much. You know, maybe they should have more sometimes, I think. But I don't know. They really loved and supported us where we were, whether we were going through a, a good time or a struggling time. And they didn't get overly involved or try to change us or force us to do anything. And I don't know if, you know, again, I'm, I don't know if they did that on purpose or if they just didn't or st stepped back because they didn't know what to do or whatever. But they, I see that. And I, I, I've seen in all those generations just love and acceptance and value and being not alone no matter what was going on. And I think that's what has kind of kept our families together and made it made the impact rather than trying to have everything be so perfect and, you know, trying to force people into being the way you want them to be, which is so tempting. You know, I struggle with stepping back. Whenever I do that, I know the root cause of it is fear. I want my girls to decide to do this or that because I'm afraid. And I just got to let them go and do their thing and love and support them where they are. And that doesn't mean always accepting bad behavior or supporting them in wrong, bad decisions, but, but loving them despite the bad decisions they might make. And my, my parents told me at that same church service, they, and I didn't know this, they said for the past 20 years, every night, they've prayed out loud together for each one of us, like us my sisters and I and all of our kids and our husbands. And I, I didn't know they did that. I mean, I knew they prayed for us, but I didn't know it was that intentional and daily like that, which really like touched me. I was like, wow, I didn't, again, I thought, I think that also has had a behind the scenes kind of influence on us that we didn't even know was going on. I love that. Yeah, the power of prayer, power of praying parents. And praying together is so intimate. That is a, a sacred space when you go into that place in your heart and you speak aloud to the Father of all things, you know, that's, and to do that with your husband, that's a vulnerable place to be with your husband. That is a, a trusting place and of non-judgment. And I just, just for your mom and dad to do that, you know, the outward power that they're putting into infusing into your families and you guys. But then as a married couple, the intimacy and the power of bonding that that must have on the two of them to just, I mean, that's such a posture of, I mean, there's so many words coming to my brain. I don't even know which word to grab and say that is such a posture of battle and it's a quiet battle, but they're, they're going into the foxhole together it's so good oh my gosh that's powerful yeah and it it's a good reminder for me to just especially now as they're older you know we intervene more when they're younger but just to love my kids where they are pray for them and let them figure things out because like you said the fear makes us meddle and it makes us say things that are fear fueled don't do that I know it's only been a couple of years since you've been divorced. 
what has been the most challenging for you as a single parent now and adjusting to this new life situation? Uh, I don't think the parenting part has been the hardest adjustment because their father's very involved. So the parenting part has not been a hard adjustment. I think for me personally, um, the first year post-divorce was still very, very difficult because him and I were not speaking. And forgiveness was still something that was abstract in my heart and mind. And um, I think that I stressed a lot about my kids' relationship with him in comparison to their relationship with me. So it was just during that time. So I'm having to put myself back in that time because it's very different now. And that's not something that exists now. But back then, I think, and I know a lot of people that are divorced that feel this, is that uh, they would go with their father and they would have these experiences and there would be a jealousy that would rise up in me. And I would be very challenged to have the same kind of um, involvement because it's hard for moms to find things in, on common ground to do with boys. Like I said, they are super, super boy. And what does a, a 40-something-year-old mom do with a 16, 18-year-old boy to bond with them? Like, what common ground do you have? And so I was really struggling to be able I mean, you know, it's not very hard for dad. They, they're all the same. They have the same mindset and they do all these boy things, you know, and, and I think that he had his own challenges. Um, but for me, I think I was just I was super jealous of the relationship. I didn't know how to keep the bond tight and I was suffering by comparison, which is just never a healthy thing to do. Um, and instead of focusing on just being the best mom that I could be and being there and being available for whatever they needed from the feminine energy in their life, um, I was more focused on competing with their father. And that really stressed me out. Um, and it made me not a fun person to be around because I was in competitive mode. And when they didn't respond to me the way I wanted them to, or they would <laughs> reject my invitations to go to the movies or go shopping or the things that I know to do with them, I would feel fully rejected. And then I would come down, you know, not only am I rejected by them, but now I'm failing by comparison to their father. So it was just this big, false discussion and dialogue I was having in my head. So that was probably the most challenging time post-divorce, which was all just crazy. And if I could go back and do it again, I would release the competition. You're just never in competition with your spouse or ex-spouse. But since then, and thankfully, communication was opened up between their father and I, and uh, and it's it's grown into a friendly place and there's no competition now and the kids are older and they not only are they pulling away from me they're pulling away from him too so <laughs> uh, I think we both kind of lament once or twice a week we'll get on the phone and be like oh this is what they said to me or this is what they did or <laughs> so now we're more on the same page him and I with the kids um, but that was definitely the hardest part and I think the only way that I was able to really let that go is to realize that we're not in competition and I cannot be their father and I cannot be either everything. 
and I can only be me and I can only offer what I have. And when I just settled into that, which, you know, it helped when peace began to enter into my relationship with their father. When peace entered there, peace began to reign throughout all the relationships um, with myself, with my kids, with him. And it just resonated throughout the whole family tree, really. But um, I would say for as a mom, whether you're married or not, that's a hard thing to stay bonded with your kids. And if I were going to give anybody a hint, I would say the gym is a great place to go. I wish I had brought my kids to the gym a lot sooner because give boys a mirror and a reason to flex and they are happy. They are really happy with that. <laughs> so that is one place that we do bond, two of the three bonds. That's a great idea. I was thinking, what would you suggest that moms could do with their teenage boys to bond? Because I met with girls, it's a little, you know, you can go shopping, we can get nails done, we, they like to go get tea and coffee, and there are a lot of opportunities to bond with girls, I think, in the teenage years that I imagine are is different with boys. Well, I think you're going to have to just get uncomfortable and not make it about you, because there's nothing about going to 17 different car shows where it's all the same cars when it's 105 degrees outside. Do it. Just do it. Do it anyway. I mean, anything that they're going to allow you to be a part of, be a part of it. Go sit in the tree stand with them. Go get cold, cold, because that's always, always during the cold season. You're going to get cold and uncomfortable. And I, there's a lot of things I regret. The times that I got uncomfortable and just did the things that my kids wanted to do is not one of them. That will never be the things that I regret. I agree. And that's one of the things I learned in my coaching and then I tell my parents, I Doing something that they enjoy makes such a difference. They see you doing something and investing in them. And that opens the door to a deeper conversation later. Because if we don't invest in the small things, they're not going to let us into the big things. One last question. What do you like to do for fun? Oh, okay. So fun. I mean, I, my definition of fun is pretty broad now. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to answer that question two years ago, three years ago, because I just didn't have an identity. But once I started getting back into myself and realizing that I do have likes and dislikes, um, I don't really mind Georgia heat that bad. <laughs> I know everybody complains about it, but I really like playing in the dirt. I like gardening. I um, There's just something about a seed and watching it go through its full life cycle that that gets me buzzing. And speaking of that, just there's nothing better for me. My escape is hiking. So if if I really need to uh, figure something out, I'm in the woods. I'm on a hike. And I look for beauty when I go. I look for snakes and bugs and crazy spiders. And I look for beauty. Um, and I, those things are beautiful to me. And I get really freaked out about little tiny things like a hummingbird. Like that just makes me so overfilled with joy the first hummingbird I saw this season when it came to my bird feeder because you just never know you know how long is it going to take them to find the bird feeder again and I moved it so it was super challenging <laughs> I moved the whole garden this year and uh you know when I first saw that first hummingbird it was like I won the lottery I had such a release of happy hormones in my brain over that little tiny bird finding the bird feeder and I hope I never just lose that part of me because I realized I went pretty numb there for a while. And now the kid inside me 
is very much awake. And those little tiny things, the first firefly that you see in the summer, uh, the first bird, all those little things just get, I just yell, oh my gosh, it's the first hummingbird. (laughs) That's my joy. That's my fun. What about you? What do you like to do for fun? I, I can relate to what you said. It's been a while. But back when things were really tough in my marriage, so this would be like 2004, I was playing tennis with a friend and I kept forgetting the score and I was just obsessing over all the problems in my life. And I apologized to her and she said to me, when I play tennis, I don't think about anything. I just have fun. And that got me thinking and I thought, what do I think is fun? And I couldn't think of anything, nothing, because there's that part of me that felt like I couldn't enjoy life with all this stuff out of order. It didn't make sense. Like if my marriage is like, I I didn't know how to enjoy life. I didn't know how to have fun. And that was one of the things I did learn as I was getting healthier. I learned to enjoy things. I I remember now I love playing tennis (laughs) and I have for years, but that's, that's one of the things I enjoy. I enjoy playing pickleball. That's something new we've kind of taken up for fun. I I like walking and I'm very crafty. I love sewing and painting and doing just sort of crafty things, coming up with art projects. And I have a whole messy room in my basement that's full of craft stuff and I pull out different things. But that's, I enjoy being creative in that way. And I probably have, my husband would think, too many hobbies now. <laughs> things that I enjoy. <laughs> I have a friend every year we go to the Pinners conference at the gallery where they have all kinds of craft stuff. That's like our fun weekend we look forward to. But um, and I love just watching movies and sitting out by our fire pit and talking, talking with friends and people. That's one of my favorite things, too. But, you know, I can relate to that period of time of not enjoying things and going numb and how how much it helped me to to get hobbies to gain hobbies and to find them and to and really become who I was find myself again you get lost in those dark times and lose yourself and I would encourage anybody who can't think of anything fun to start working on that because life is to be enjoyed absolutely that is uh that's something that I deal with a lot in coaching women is uh, when you lose your identity or when you've, you know, it's a good litmus test too. When you have something that you once enjoyed and you realize that that has been a long time since you've either done it or actually got joy while you were doing it, that's a good litmus test that something's really off in your mindset and in, in between your mind and your heart. And I think the first thing that happens to me is my creative, creative side goes quiet and that's how I know okay if I'm having a hard time writing or doing zen tinkling or drawing if I just have gone blank there I know that something is is not lined between my heart and my mind it's a great litmus test well that wraps up our get to know you interview we really hope you enjoyed it please join us next week as we discuss letting go until then stay wild
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild.